Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... Saul is teaching us a lot of things that we don't want to do. We don't want to take credit for what others have done. We want to be glad to give credit, right? We want to give credit where credit is due. If somebody else does something great, we want to be people that can say, hey, she did an awesome job. If someone wrongly ascribes to you, hey, you, you dig it. No, 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 don't give me credit for it. They did that. They, someone else did that. You know, we want to be careful to deflect credit where it belongs. As believers, we're often called to give glory where? When people may look at you and they, oh, man, you, no, 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 brother God. What an interesting statement by Pastor Bill. We often like to claim credit for actions that we did not take. When it comes to our work or even doing a task that has been assigned to us, we frequently prefer to take the credit for it rather than offering it to the person who helped us. Pastor Bill talks in today's message how you can be sincere and modest in all that you do. When you offer credit where it's due, God recognizes your humility and will use it to further your place in His purpose for your life. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13. As he begins his message, fake it till you break it. As we're making our way through 1 Samuel, we've been introduced to King Saul. He's been put up as the king and today will be probably, uh, but it was coming quickly that we would see the flaws in Saul's character. I titled message, fake it till you break it. Now, we've all heard the phrase, fake it till you make it, which I don't like that either. Because anything where you got to fake it, uh, usually not a good thing. Uh, well, you guys will see what I'm talking about as we look at Saul. Just, you know, just we'll see the cracks and some of the flaws in his character. And we'll learn through Saul a lot of what not to be, a lot of how not to behave, a lot of how not to respond to situations. And so you want to always be paying attention because if you can't learn from somebody what to do, then we can be learning from that same person what not to do. So we always can be learning if we got our eyes open and our hearts, you know, in tune. I'm always learning something. So I'm either learning from a person. This is how it's to be done. This is a good example. Or I'm learning from somebody what not to do. And so unfortunately for Saul, he's going to be an example to us of what not to do. And so uh, with that, look at 1 Samuel 13, starting at verse 1. It says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gil, Gilgat of Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. So a few things right in these first couple of verses. Saul has been reigning. Um, this is going to be his first opportunity really to, you know, he's been erected as king. He's been put in a position. And remember, the people were getting whooped on by the Philistines. And that's when they told Samuel, they said, Samuel, we, we don't trust. We want a God. We want a king like everybody else. They were thinking a king was going to be the one to fix their problems, was going to get things squared away for them. And so now they got the problem of the Philistines and they got a king. They got a big king. He's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. They got what they wanted. And we're going to see that Saul fails them miserably. And so Saul is there. Um, I wrote, I underlined the phrase in verse two where it says Saul chose for himself. Anybody know who else did that? I can think of a positive and a negative. Anybody think of another a negative where somebody chose for themselves? Lot. In Genesis 13, uh, when Lot and Abram were going to part, it says that Lot 
looked up to the plains towards Sodom. And it says Lot chose for himself. And the distinction in chapter 13 of Genesis is that God gave Abram land with a promise that you're going to have it, your descendants, as long as you live. Um, Lot chose for himself what looked best to him in his limited scope. And he ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah. And um, a year later, he got raided. Everything went terrible for him in that place. And so it was a lesson in not doing that. When a person is choosing for themselves, what's absent? There's no prayer here. The other person that chose for himself, which I don't think was a negative, David. It says David chose for himself five smooth stones. But that was after he had the he had faith in God that he was getting ready to go whomp this Philistine. Uh, that was a little different. But this to me right here, um, he's getting ready to go to battle. No prayer, no intercession, no seeking. He's just, all right, I got my guys. I'm the king. I'm putting things in order. I'm doing it like this, like that. Something we'll see later is we're going to continue through the book of 1 Samuel. Later on, when David becomes king, there's a phrase you're going to see follows David all throughout his life. And it's going to say this. And David inquired of the Lord over and over and over again, even after victory, after victory, after victory, be another person come and give you think David would just take it upon himself to be I always win. But no, nope, David inquired of the Lord over and over again. May we learn from what's absent here. Right. We're going to see this go bad. They're not going to do well. Um, but we know why he didn't seek the Lord. Saul chose for himself three thousand men. I thought this was interesting, right? Because how many of you, for anyone that's got kids, you know, if you got your kids and your, if I think kids or I think of those, someone weaker, I would think that I would send more with them, right? Saul had 2,000 with him. And how many did his son have? 1,000. That's just kind of a punk move to me. I just, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not, I'm, I, don't like, I don't like a whole lot about what I see in this chapter. But, you know, Jonathan, this is the first mention of Saul's son, Jonathan, who's going to prove to be an awesome Young man, proof that good kids can come from bad parents, Jonathan. Uh, we also have proof in scripture that bad kids can come from good parents. Um, and so, uh, you know, but this is an instance where, you know, Jonathan is a stout young man. He's brave. He's courageous. He operates in faith. He's going to have a, a real, a sweet, godly love relationship with King David. Um, be very supportive of him in, in the time that he's while his dad's trying to kill him. And so. We're introduced to Jonathan here, Saul's son. And I just want to point out to you that Saul has more people with him than Jonathan has with him. That'll be important as we look at what happens next. Right. So look at verse three. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba and the Philistines heard it. So Jonathan attacked. Right. Circle that. Underline that. Mark that. Jonathan attacked. Jonathan's. He got up. He had his little thousand men. Jonathan said, man, we got to go do something. The Philistines are over there. He just went, he went and started something. He went, he went to go pick the fight. That's what Joshua Saul was supposed to be doing. Saul was supposed to be going and getting in the grill of the Philistines. But Jonathan was there and he was, he had his 1,000 men. He was like, man, what are we doing? What are we doing? And he, went, he just went and did it. He went and kicked up a fight and he got it cracking with the Philistines. He attacked them and started the fight, kicked it off. Now, again, I would like to have seen Saul do that. I would like for it to read Saul attacked. Saul went to war. Saul, you know, rallied his troops and went out. Saul didn't do that. Look at what Saul did in verse three. Then Saul. So it says Jonathan attacked. It says then Saul did what? That's what he did. Saul blew the trumpet and, and threw out all the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. Mark this. Jonathan attacked. Saul blew the trumpet. Um, Saul is supposed to be the king. Saul is supposed to be head and shoulders. He's the guy that they're supposed to be looking to to defend and protect Jonathan went to war. Saul blew the trumpet. It says throughout the whole land saying, 
Let the Hebrews hear. Now, look at what it says. Let the Hebrews hear. Look at verse four. Now, after King Saul blew the trumpet and, let, and yelled, let the Hebrews hear. Look at what all the Hebrews heard. Now, all Israel heard it said that Saul attacked the garrison of the Philistines. Anything wrong with that? Y'all see anything wrong? Who attacked? But it says Saul blew the trumpet, said, let all the Hebrews hear. And then the next thing it tells us is that what all the Hebrews heard was that Saul attacked the garrison. That's one thing to be coward. It's one thing to not be willing to go yourself. I, it's a different kind of guy that's going to take credit from his own son. You know, he, he, I would have been proud. I would have been a proud. That's my, that's my boy. Hey, my Jonathan did that. He went out there. He did the thing today. You know, he could have been proud of his son, but he did. He took credit for what his son did. All Israel heard that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines. I titled it Fake It Till You Break It. We're going to see multiple times in this chapter Saul faking it, pretending, but not being. He, rather than being what, what he was supposed to be, he just took a step back. I want to pretend to be brave, but he, was, was he brave here? He was not brave. He blew the trumpet. And uh, Jonathan was brave, but not Saul. And so I just want us to pay attention because it's, it's all going to kind of crumble in this chapter for Saul. It's going to begin to crumble. It'll be crumbling for many chapters from here. But we just see some cracks in his character. He's a man that is content to pretend to be doing something that that he didn't even do that his son did. And to take the credit, to take the credit for what someone else had done. And we want to be careful. These are Saul is teaching us a lot of things that we don't want to do. We don't want to take credit for what others have done. We want to be glad to give credit. Right. We want to give credit where credit is due. If somebody else does something great, we want to be people that can say, hey, she did an awesome job. If someone wrongly ascribes to you, hey, you, you did. No, no, no. Don't give me credit for that. They did that. They someone else did that. You know, we want to be careful to deflect credit where it belongs. As believers, we're often called to give glory where when people may look at you and oh, man, you no, 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 brother God. Right. But apart from him, I can do nothing. And we want to deflect glory to the Lord. Um, Saul took that little cheap credit from his own son. Uh, it will prove as time goes by that Jonathan is brave and Jonathan will be the last time Jonathan steps out. Um, but Saul did that here. It's another crack in his character. And to me, that's a big crack. It's, it's, it wasn't like he took credit from just some random person, your own son. And all Saul did was blow the trumpet. And uh, somehow everybody heard that Saul attacked the garrison of the Philistines and that Israel had also the rest. Look at the rest of verse four. And that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul in Gilgal. Now, I want you to note this. The Philistines considered Israel an abomination once they attacked. They weren't really tripping. As long as Israel was subdued, y'all shut up and stay over there. We'll do our thing over here. As long as they were subjugated, the Philistines were kind of carrying on like, we're not worried about the Israelites. But Jonathan kicked up and went and started a fight. Now they're like, these are an abomination. Now it's a problem. And it's very much that way in the spiritual life. Some of you guys had spent time kind of coasting around in your spiritual life. And the enemy wasn't bothering you. You, were, he was, you, he, you wasn't even on his radar. Life was good. And then somewhere along the way, God got a hold of you. God stirred your heart up and you put your hand to the plow to do something for God. And you get whomped. Upside and downside, the right side, the upside, everywhere, which way it's coming, because the enemy is like, now it's a problem. Now it's a problem. Now I want to make you, I want you to quit. All warfare is intended to do is to make you quit. 
That's what Satan wants. I want to make you, if I can make you afraid, so you'll quit. If I can make you uncomfortable, so you'll quit. If I can overwhelm you, so you'll quit. Everything that the enemy does is the, with the intent that you would stop. Um, and here's the cool thing. He can't ever make you stop. He can tempt you to stop, but he can't make you stop. He can't physically stop you. Um, everything God has called you to do, he will enable you to do. So if it can be stopped, then God is allowed, right? But, but as believers, that any, whatever God has for us to be doing, we can keep pressing forward in the Lord. And so, uh, and I, I would just encourage any believer that's enduring hardship. I've, I've actually heard Christians say, it's just been too much. I got to stop for a while. And I'm like, no, no, that's, you probably never get going again. Like that's, that's what the enemy wants. Don't ever take a break. Don't ever pull back. I mean, take a break, you know, Sabbaths in the Lord. But, you know, don't quit. Don't fall back because the war gets the, whenever I see warfare kick up, it's a sign to me that I'm on to something. He wouldn't be making all this ruckus if I wasn't on something. I'm on a nerve right now. I'm going to press in. I'm going to press in. We're going to get this, you know. And, um, and, you know, God is good. You know, God will only allow it to go for so long. He'll give you a break. But don't take a break. Let the Lord give you a break. Amen. And so the Philistines have now seen Israel as an abomination because Jonathan went and kicked it off. And so now it's a problem. Look at verse five. It says, then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and the people as and people as the sand, which is on the seashore in multitude. So that Israel's outgunned. Uh, that means they got better weapons and they're outmanned. They got they didn't even give a number. They said as many as the seashore. That's that's an innumerable number of men that the Philistines are coming with. Um, so they're, they're outgunned and outmanned in this particular situation. And it says and they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger for the people. Listen to this description of the people. They were distressed. Then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. So the Israelites are looking bad. They're afraid, they're hiding. And this is what I gather from this. As a leader, you can't lead people any further than you've gone. A scary leader is gonna have scary followers. But a bold and courageous leader is gonna have bold and courageous followers. You know, we know David was a giant killer. And when you go look at the list of David's men, guess what he got on the roster? Some more giant killers, right? They took courage. They saw David. They're like, we, we, got, we know God too. And he had some other guys that got on that roster and they went out there and killed them. Some, David had some bad dudes on the roster. I mean, when you, you read through the names, me and Clint at one time was going through, they had the brother that was in the, he was in the pit in the snow fighting with the, you know, just, he, he, got, he got some bad, bad, bad dudes, you know, uh, with him. But David was a, in his own right, right? He was a courageous dude. You don't ever see David scared. Why not? This is so important. We'll talk about this multiple times tonight. Why don't we ever see David afraid? He trusted God. He trusted God. When he was a little kid, he trusted God. He had a track record with God. When, it was, when he went down to, to, to see Goliath, he was a little kid. He was a young guy. He wasn't even old enough to be counted, you know, to, be, to go to war yet. Dad said, just go down there and see how your brothers are doing. The dad was worried. Want to see how the brothers are doing and probably was hoping for a good report. How's the war going? How the boys doing? Take them something to eat. David gets down there and, and, and Israel is cowering to this one guy that's walking back and forth talking smack. I paraphrase, but that's exactly what he's talking smack and challenging them. And David said, man, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who going? I'll fight him. 
And his brothers was mad about it. And Saul looked at David and was like, nah, he's, nah. but you know what? Saul let him do it. That's what a coward, what a coward. Because Saul said, man, anybody will fight him. I'll give you one of my raggedy daughters. I'm assuming that she was raggedy. I'm just playing. I'll give you one of my daughters as a wife and I'll give you free taxes. You won't have to pay taxes if you make it. And um, that's what Saul was offering up for whoever would go and fight Goliath. But we see way back here, the very beginning of Saul's life, um, he's a coward. You know, a couple weeks ago, he was hiding in the stuff when it was time to be put forth, you know. And I, yeah, I want to believe it was humility. You know, I want to give him credit, but he was just humble. He was scared. He was scared. And so here he is again. He's scared. And the people are scared. Uh, and I would just say this. This is this is parents can be this way. Like when parents, when we go through stuff, I'm not saying we got to fake it. We got to faith it, um, because if, if you look broken, your kids look, they're looking for you for stability. And if you don't trust God, they don't, they're, they're looking at you like mom don't trust God. God must not, you know, he must not be trustworthy. Look, look at her crying nonstop. Um, you know, look at how we're falling apart. And so and I'm not saying again, I'm not saying fake it. I'm saying faith it. I want to get to the place where. When the bottom is falling out, God trusts you. I'm trying. We're here. I'm here in this boat with you. And so I believe I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It don't look good, but I believe we're where we're supposed to be. And so in faith, I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm not going not gonna to bellyache. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to act like I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know why God's allowing this to happen to us. You know, I'm not going to speak like that. Um, we want to be careful that we don't we don't lead in fear. We want to lead in faith. You'll never be disappointed leading in faith. Just God, we're going to trust the Lord. Um, I've done that many times where we just I'm just challenged, but I'm trusting the Lord through difficult things. God always comes through. It's always, always some reason why he allowed it to be bumpy. He allowed it to be challenging. There were some years back. Uh, my family, we, we were now God has spoke to me that it was time for us to move back to Inglewood because we were going we to be doing this. And so I sold a house we had in Downey and we were we had found another house. We thought we were going to be in a hotel for about a week. And uh, as we were in that hotel, we found out that the house that we thought we were going to get fell through. Someone else bought it cash and we had to start over from scratch. And so that one week, two weeks in the hotel turned into months in the hotel. We spent a Christmas and uh, I don't know if it was a Christmas and Thanksgiving or Christmas and a New Year. But you remember that. Y'all remember that. My kid asked some kids about it. It was a year for us. It was four. Was it five of us in a hotel room with two beds? So it was two beds and a bathroom. And five of us was in there. Tight quarters. Um, Mika was cooking up food on a we had to plug in skillet in the toaster oven and a little. That's how we was living for months while doing the ministry, while every Sunday, every Sunday. Back then it was every Thursday and other things were going on. And the kids are going to school. And it was it was difficult. When I tell you, I'm like, God, I did what you told me to do. This looks bad, Lord. This is. And then if you guys could have seen the house that I found when I found it, it was a fixer upper and it was hoarded. It was so bad when Mika and Harmony saw it and we left. I was like, that's going to be it. They were like, you're not you're not considering this place. I'm like, no, that's that's it. That's, a, that's the place we're, we're going for it. It was bad. Um, it's not bad. It's not so bad now. Now it's all right. You know, but I had vision at the time, you know, as all those things were going on, um, difficult challenge, things. In the, it didn't it didn't look good, but I did believe the Lord and I did trust that God had put us in the position when we came out of that season. I, mean, I talked to all my kids and I'm like. What did you get out of that season? And you know what? Everybody got something positive out of it. 
Um, one of my kids are like, you know what, Dad, and all that time, they're like, I don't know anybody that I know who could live that close and not fight. We never fought. You guys, you and mom never fought. We didn't like, there was unity. You know, there were nights where, you know, somebody would pull out the guitar and we have worship. Uh, there were nights where we was on each other's nerves and, you know, because it was, you know, somebody always had to be on the air mattress. So it was like, I don't want to be on, he can be on there. You know, there was nights like that, but sharing one bathroom uh, between five folks and two women, <laughs> you know, all of that was, uh, you know what it did though? When we finally got into the fixer upper, that was very ugly. The house was ugly compared to the house that we left. Um, I don't think that we, anybody would appreciate the house, but coming out of a hotel room, it was like, I got my own room. Oh, it's like just <laughs> praise the Lord, you know? So God was working in us in that time. There was stuff that he was doing. It was challenging though. But we got through it. We got through it. Nothing broke. God didn't, you know, he didn't destroy us through that. Um, he taught us more about him in that season. Then he brought us out. And so as we go through things, I just, it's so important that it's not afterwards. It's when we're going through it. Now I got to faith it right now. Now I need to operate in faith. Now I need to trust. Right now while I'm faced with the opposition, do I trust God? And is that what I'm believing? Is that what I'm speaking? Is that what I'm sharing? Or am I doubting God? Am I mad at God? Am I frustrated? Am I complaining because I don't know what God is doing? I don't know why God. <laughs> you know, like, I hate to hear believers sounding like that, you know, because we don't we won't always know why the whys of God. His ways are not our ways. That's why that. And I, I just accept that. God, your ways are not my ways. because I would have never done it like this. But OK, <laughs> you know, you, you're still the Lord. You're still in charge. So I just look here at these people. I'm like, this is the camp of Israel. These are God's people. And look at it one more time. They were distressed. Then the people hid in caves and thickets, rocks, holes, and in pits. They were scared. I mean, in thickets, just jumping in the bushes, you know, just like a bunch of little crackheads, just hiding out in little spots out there, you know. Um, this is the condition of God's people under this particular leader. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 7. It says, and some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of uh, the land of Gad and Gilead. So some of them, they crossed back from they had crossed over into the promised land. Some of them went back over to Jordan on the east side. They were like, we we get out of here. You know, so they hide. And they, this is the condition of God's people. Um, and Saul only been king for a, a hot minute. He just getting going. And this is the condition of God's people. It says the last part of verse seven, as for Saul. He was still in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. Saul is still in Gilgal. Now, this is interesting. Gilgal was where, where he got inaugurated, you know, where he was anointed. And it make you wonder if Saul was like, I'm going to stay over here where last time it was good things was happening over here in Gilgal. You, you need to go over there and figure out why your folks is all scared. But Saul is right there in Gilgal. But notice that last part of verse seven. And the people followed him trembling. Um, that's a pit. They're, they're following him, but they're scared to death because they got a bad leader. Right. They got a bad leader. They're following Saul, but they got no trust. Um, and I don't think Saul is giving them much to trust in. Saul is not crying out to God. Saul is not believing God for great things. Saul is. It looks like a cowardice leader. Let me give you. I'm going to give you two other kings in similar situations but a great contrast as an example for what we should do. Uh, while Saul is an example of what we shouldn't do, I want you to see there are some examples of what we should do. Turn with me, everybody, to 2 Chronicles. Two stories in 2 Chronicles. One is in chapter 14, one is in chapter 20. Everybody get 2 Chronicles chapter 14. I'm going to wait for y'all to get there. And we're going to look at King Asa real quick. 
In 2 Chronicles 14, starting at verse 8, Asa just became king. He started off well. He was putting out all the wicked stuff that the people did before him. And then the Ethiopians came out against him. We know there are many ways that you can spend your day. But we're delighted that you chose to spend time with us today in the book of 1 Samuel. Pastor Bill is the voice behind these teachings here on A Transforming Word. We genuinely trust that what you're hearing is truly having a transforming effect on your life through listening to God's Word. What is standing out to you about the book of 1 Samuel? Is it the character of Samuel and how he came to the position he did in Israel? Perhaps your curiosity is piqued by the accounts of young David fighting off wild animals and even fighting against a giant enemy. There are all kinds of accounts of fights, chases, and running away from someone who was once trusted. There are also great moments of David and Jonathan and their friendship. This Old Testament book can be such a treasure of information, history, and life lessons. We hope that you're connecting with it in multiple ways today. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry based out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, in Inglewood, California. Would you come visit us? Sunday morning services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. For those not in the area, you can live stream our service on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Look for links on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Our time with you today is about up, but please join us again for the next edition as Pastor Bill continues to teach through the book of 1 Samuel. Until then, keep learning and growing in the Word and be expected for another great message here on A Transforming Word.